from Central Texas, it's the Best of the Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Von Warnke, outdoor writer, author, speaker, videographer, blogger, and podcaster. And I do a few other things in the outdoor industry like build websites and uh, market businesses and do advertising and all kinds of fun things. So I am just so thrilled to be with you today. Thank you so much for taking the opportunity to download or stream our show however you found us, whether it be through a link on social media or you found us on our website or through uh, Podbean where we host this podcast. We just thank you so much for doing so. And if you like what you hear, please rate us on whatever medium that you found us on, whether that be iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Podbean or any of those kind of things. Uh, the positive reviews help people find our podcast, and um, we would just love to hear your feedback. And you can always email me through my, my website at dustinsprojects.com as well. Well, thank you so much again for tuning in and joining us. I'm really excited about this series of interviews that I'm getting ready to publish. Um, I'll kind of drip these out in the coming weeks, but the first one is going to be on compound bow hunting and setting up a new compound bow, kind of the best practices of um, how to shoot a compound bow. And even if you're a novice or if you're an expert, I think you can find something good in this interview I did with Prowler Bill Henson from the Mac and Prowler TV show. I'm really excited about this. We sat down because Prowler Bill came down for a meeting that we had with uh, a media company, and he drove six miles, or six, not six miles, six hours down here from Texarkana to my part of Central Texas and uh, stayed the night, and we stayed up late recording podcasts. So what you're going to hear in this podcast and two other podcasts after this are going to be some interviews that we did together Um, We had a lot of fun sitting down together in front of the microphone and just talking like you would talk in a coffee shop. You know, Um, that's what I love to do is just talk about hunting and fishing. And uh, our last podcast was on fishing. So I decided to switch it back to compound bow hunting and, and hunting again. Here's my interview with Bill Henson. I'm here with Mr. Prowler Bill Henson, and I'm excited to talk about compound bows today. We're going to talk about um, what to look for when using when uh, purchasing a used bow, and what to look for when purchasing a new bow, and the different types of manufacturers that are out there as well. How are you doing today, Mr. Prowler Bill? Having a great time, and, right. and just glad to be down here and get to get to come see your studio and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's nice. I like it. Thanks. Thanks. This is great. I'm impressed with all your mounts. They Thank look you. Cool. Yeah, I've got a pretty cool little office here. So. I really like that one. What do you yeah. call that? That is a feral hog dipped in cryptek camo, green cryptek camo. Well, that which is, is cool. Pretty cool. It looks like a dinosaur. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. That's right. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about bows today, right? Yes, and I apologize for the dog barking in the background. What's he? What's he barking at? Uh, the cat. <laughs> okay all right well let's let's talk new bows first yes uh, the best thing to do if you're a beginner and you're wanting to learn to shoot a bow is to find a good archery shop yes good pro shop good pro shop because they're going to test your ability how much you can pull yes and that's to draw weight they're also going to measure you for draw length which is very important that will tell you what kind of arrow you're going to shoot. Yes. Uh, the spine strength on the arrow is very important. Yes. Um, most people just starting out cannot pull real heavy weights. True. Um, and I'm going to say a heavy weight starts at, uh, I'm going to guess and say 50, 55 pounds. Okay. Uh, for a beginner. For a beginner, right. 
and what you'd want to do is look for a bow that has a lot of adjustment in it that you can adjust the draw weight by moving the uh, the limbs of the bow. Right. And there's a screw that mounts to the riser that uh, you can screw it in or screw it out. But if you screw it in, it gives you more tension, therefore more pounds to pull on the bow. And if you're just a beginner and you can pull back 45 pounds, then you're probably going to want to shoot a 45 to probably a 60-pound pull bow. Right. At a 45-pound pull bow, what you're doing is you're using muscles that probably had never been used before. In your back, typically, in your shoulder area, right? Yeah, in your back and shoulder area. Now, we're not going to discuss the different types of bows out there, but just we're just talking about compound bows. Right. I personally shoot a PSE, and I've shot Matthews, and I've shot all of the other brands, you know, the uh, Bowtech. They all make good bows. And there's probably not a dime's worth of difference in any of them. Right. I agree. Uh, and But that that's just simply stating that if you like a particular bow, go for it. Okay. That's good. You're, you're going to find a good one in, in a pro shop. What your pro is going to do then, once he's found out how much you can pull back, and, and I'm just using this as an example. Let's say me and you go into a pro shop and you want a bow. Well, the first thing you'll do is how much you can pull back. You don't know. And so they'll test you on several different bows. Well, right. this one's set on 45. This one's set on 60. This one's set on 70. This one's set on 80. Right. Things like that. What you can pull back sitting in a chair and pull it back is what you want to shoot. Right. Not standing up. But what you can shoot sitting in a chair with your feet on the floor and you don't raise your feet up you don't cock the bow up in the air. You can pull it straight back and to your anchor point. Right. That's where you want to start. Whatever poundage that is, that's where you want to start. Okay. And then, based on that, you're going to have to figure out your draw length. And they will measure your draw length. And usually what they'll do is there's several different ways to do it. But main, most people, they'll put a long arrow in. And you'll draw it back, draw the bow back. And they'll mark the arrow for you. And then they'll right. measure that and say, well, your draw length is 29 inches. Like my draw length is 29 inches. Yours is probably, what, 30, 31? 30, yeah, 30. All right. And that's that's what that's what Randy Mac, that's what Mac does. But he, he can also measure several different ways. But you don't really know now what you've got. Because all you've done is... Purchase the bow, purchase the arrows they told you to purchase, and maybe some field tips to go on it. You're not shooting broadheads yet. Mm-hmm. You're wanting to uh, to practice. You need to practice at the archery shop, the pro shop, because he's going to point out things that you may not realize that are so important. One is how to hold the bow to keep it from slapping your arm. Keep right. the string from slapping your arm when you release the string. And part of that is how to stand as well. Stand or sit. Right, stand or sit. Or right. kneeling. Yes. Uh, because if if you lock your wrist out, your palm out, you're going to hit that arm. Right. And they, they sell all of these shields and all this kind of stuff for your arm. And that's good if you got on a lot of clothing, it's real cold, you put that shield on the outside and collapse that 
that uh, material around your arm a little bit. But otherwise, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts it, bad. Yeah, it'll peel the hide off, and you'll have a very good bruise there. Right. Uh, but if you listen to your pro, he's going to tell you, you need to pull the bow straight back, pull the string straight back. And I'm a, at this point, I'm right-handed, so I pull the bow back, the string back with my right hand. And my anchor point is the corner of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Me too. If I shoot a, if I'm shooting a release, which they're, if you're shooting a compound bow, you probably need to shoot a release. It improves your accuracy tremendously. Yes. So when I shoot a release, my anchor point is my jawbone, the back of my jaw where it joins my neck. That puts the arrow right at the corner of my mouth. That's two anchor points that I have. The knock of the arrow touches my corner of my mouth. My thumb, the base knuckle on my thumb, is touching the, my jawbone. That's my two anchor points. And what you're wanting is three. So I've got two there. I've got one out here on the bow. I shoot a bow open-handed with a sling. Mm-hmm. When I release the bow, the bow tries to jump out of my hand. I don't grab the bow. I let the, my wrist uh, route catch the bow. Right. And that way you're a whole lot more accurate. You're not torquing your bow. Right. Because very few people can torque a bow the same all the time. Right. There's there's some that can. But uh, basically. I call it the kung fu grip. Yeah. Because <laughs> you will torque that bow to the left or the right. And that's something a lot of beginners, you know, think they have to hold it so it doesn't fall. But that's what a good wrist strap, you know, prevents. Well, gripping a bow is uh, for shooting. Uh, Recurve and straight bows, stick bows is what I call them. For a lot of people, grip those real tight, and you're still torquing the bow. Right. But if you shoot these bows, but we're talking about compound right now. But if you shoot a recurve bow and you open up your hand, you're letting that bow do all the work for you. You're not ha- you're not torquing it or anything. The the grip setting against the palm of your hand is going to naturally fit in that curve that you're between your thumb and your little finger. And you do the same thing on a compound bow. If it's got a big, huge grip and you have a small hand, you need to change the grip. Or take the grip all the way off. Mm-hmm. On my my particular compound bow, I don't have a grip on it. It's just, really? it's just the riser that sits in the palm of my hand. Then you're going to start shooting. And the first time you shoot, there's no telling where you're going to hit. Right. Uh, if you're shooting they call with sights you'll line up your sight on your target and you'll have i'm assuming pins or crosshairs or something like that in your sight or you're shooting with no sights which is called natural shooting uh natural shooting shooting, right instinctive and natural shooting is all the same if if you're shooting natural a lot of people use the point of the arrow as their point of destination to try to line up with their target some people use the gap system. In other words, they're shooting uh, the gap between the point of the arrow and what they're actually shooting at. Archer's paradox, right? Archer's paradox. Very good. Hey, <laughs> you ought to be carrying this conversation. <laughs> I know a few on. things, but yeah, <laughs> no, that's good. But, but uh, I consistently shoot. Now, when I consistently shoot, it's it's not so much for me to learn how to shoot because I know how to shoot. It is so that I can keep my muscles in tune, and they develop memory. Right. I'm 64 years old, and I can pull back an 80-pound bow with hardly any trouble. Right. 
I shoot 55 pounds or 57 to be exact. And the reason I do that is because I shoot so much that if I shoot in a tournament, if shooting 80 pounds, I'm give out at the end of the tournament. Right, right. And I want to be able to shoot an entire tournament without wearing my muscles out. The more you practice, the better you will become. They need your pro is going to set a knock on your bow, a knocking point on your bow, as I should say. And it's called a Kistler button. They have Kistler buttons and they have knocking buttons. Right. I use a Kistler button. Yeah. I use both. Okay. Uh, and I set my arrow on top of my knock button. And when I do that, then when I pull my, I, I shoot a loop on my string so I can hook my release into it. Mm-hmm. And I pull it back. And when I lock into position, I'm ready to shoot. Right. And when you're anchored. Yeah, I am anchored and... I, if I'm standing up, I have a certain position that I get in when I shoot. Right. Uh, if I'm shooting 30 to 40 yards, I shoot one target with one arrow because I get tired of replacing arrows. Right. But uh, <laughs> I have personally never shot a Robin Hood. Me a Robin, neither. A Robin Hood is where you stick an arrow into the target, and the next arrow you shoot goes in the end of that arrow. Right. Now, I've cut a lot of arrows in two. Me too. But I've never done a Robin Hood. Yeah. yeah, I have a friend who has shot two Robin Hoods, back to back. Wow, one after the other. One after the other. Wow. And we got that on video too. Oh my goodness. And actually, it was his first time to actually shoot a bow, and I was, we set the bow up. He went and bought it, and we set it up for him, and it was set up. I thought a little bit heavy for him, but apparently it wasn't because his first shot, he was six inches lower the target, and I told him of the bullseye. And I said, don't move nothing. Do the exact same thing again. And he said, well, don't we need to adjust the sights? I said, not yet. Let's see how consistent you are. He pulled back the second time, shot a Robin Hood. Wow. And I said, I think you're consistent enough. We need to start moving. I think that's pretty consistent. Yeah, I agree. That's very consistent. That's very unusual, by the way. But basically, your pro is going to set all this stuff up. The spine strength of your era. If If your era is too limber. You shoot all over the place. If it's too strong, too stout, I personally don't believe you can get too stout, but they get heavy. Right. And when you get an arrow that's heavy, your trajectory changes dramatically. But what you've done is you've increased your kinetic energy right. by shooting a heavier arrow. Uh, a lot of people will shoot five, 600 grains. Some of them shoot less than that. Some of them shoot a whole lot more. Right. I typically shoot an arrow that I can feel comfortable shooting slap through a bull elk at 60 yards. Wow. And mine are real stout. And, and for a long time, I shot the double uh, X75s by Easton. Then I went to the carbon-coated double X75 or aluminum arrows. Then I went to Beeman and then to uh, Gold Tip. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally like Gold Tip arrows. Me too. Uh they're very consistent, and they're good. They have good spine strength, and I can shoot up to 80 pounds, and I shoot anywhere from, like I say, 57 all the way up to 80. If I'm hunting bull elk in Colorado, I'm going to be shooting 80 pounds. Right. Now, that is going to change my sight picture, my, my target, my, my sights that I use to sight in. Right. I, I use a two-pin sight, mm-hmm. and one of them is set on 40 yards, and the other one is set on 60 yards. 
and I know I know where the arrow's going before I ever release it. Um, I shot a, a big uh, cow elk in Colorado one year, and she was exactly 30 yards from me. I'd already figured out I had my range finder. Right. And she walked right out where I had ranged, and I knew she was 30 yards. I hit her behind the shoulder about four inches, and it went in the right side, come out the left side, and the arrow was laying about 10 feet the other side of her. She turned and looked at me, looked back at the arrow, walked over, smelt of the arrow, and took about four steps and fell over. Wow, what a story. She did not have any idea she was even shot. But that's because the broadhead that I used was cutting tip. Mm-hmm. And it was a four blade, a three blade broadhead, and a satellite was the name of it at the time. I don't even mm-hmm. know if they still make them. Right. But uh, all of these little scenarios everything on your bow is going to change it up mm-hmm. change up your shooting change up where you're hitting if you change your anchor point just minutely your bow will probably three to four inches off your arrow when it hits the target and if you can get the same anchor point and you feel comfortable pulling it back the more you pull it back the more you shoot it the higher the poundage you can go and feel comfortable shooting the way I test if I can shoot is I sit in a chair and I pick my feet up off of the ground and I pull my bow back. That's interesting. Now, when I do that, I know that I'm, I have a weight that I can control and I can shoot in any condition because hunting conditions with a bow is not anything like a gun. Right. you got to be close, and you're not going to be, more than likely, you're not going to be standing upright in that perfect position to shoot. No. You're going to be crouching down. You're going to be on your knees. You're going to have all kinds of different variables. When I shot that cow that I just explained to you, I was I had crawled up behind the stump, and I was on my right knee. Left knee was touching the stump, and I was kind of in an awkward position. It's almost kneeling, but it wasn't quite kneeling. I was almost squatting. But my right knee, when it touched the ground, and I felt it touch the ground, I knew I was stable. I pulled the bow back and released the arrow. After shooting several hundred times, the muscle memory in your body will automatically go to that same position every right. time. That's the reason that you want to shoot a lot. You want to practice, practice, practice. Practice, and that's the name of the game. Once you get your bow, you, you learn about waxing the string, waxing your cables, uh, checking your cam, oiling your cam if you get out in the rain or snowstorm. It needs to be oiled after that. Uh, and that's one of the things that the smell of oil is a detriment to bow hunters. Yes. So, but that's something that's got to be done. Right. And I haven't Keep found everything in good working order, right? Yeah. yeah. Because uh, every year before I go to Colorado, I, I get in the house, we turn everything off, and my wife can hear an ant crawling across a granite rock at 50 <laughs> yards. Now, I'm over exaggerating there. Yes. But she can hear things I can't even think about hearing. And I pull my bow back. And she tells me if she hears a squeak or any noise at all, any noise, the noise that she hears every time is the arrow rubbing on the arrow wrist. Release, yeah, the yeah the rest. And once it's uh, your wrist is another, you know, that's, that's something we haven't discussed yet. But you know, if you're hunting bull elk or you're hunting a mule deer, which has excellent hearing, or whitetails, or even a pig. If you have metal dragging against metal, 
In other words, you're shooting a um, aluminum arrow on an aluminum wrist. Right. I can't hear it. But they can. But they can. So I sh- that's the reason I went to Carbon Arrows, because I used a metal wrist at the time, and I found out that I could p- take this mole skin and put it on my arrow wrist, which changes the trajectory. Indeed. And so I changed my sights and got rid of all of that noise. And I, while she's sitting there, I let the bow back down as slowly as I can. She's listening for other squeaks. Now, I'm not saying that uh, a deer can jump a string, but I've seen it happen too many times to not believe that they can do it. Right. Most of the time, they're not jumping it, they're ducking it. And it's amazing. Uh, We did a calculation one time that an arrow has to be traveling. If a deer hears it, and he knows that what's fixing to happen. In other words, he's probably been shot at before. Mm-hmm. An arrow has to travel at over 500 feet per second for him not to be able to jump out of that arrow at 30 yards. Ooh. And now that's, then, that's pretty fast. Yeah. As uh, far as I know, there's not a bow on the market that can shoot 500 no, feet per second. That, not yeah. even a crossbow. Right. Um, and I shoot both. I shoot a compound bow, I shoot recurve, and I have a stick bow, and I shoot uh, crossbows. But the compound bow is a remarkable tool, and that's what it is, is a tool. What we need to do is to learn how to shoot it properly. If you, if you let someone that knows how to shoot a bow, and I don't mean Uncle Tom over here who's been hunting for 25 years. I'm talking about a pro in a pro shop teach you the right way to shoot a bow, you won't develop bad habits. Now, bad habits, you never think about them being bad until someone points it out and you change it and it actually improves your accuracy. Um, one, one habit that I had that I had to unlearn was when I would draw back, I would move my head to the bow, to, the, to my anchor points on my right hand, move mm-hmm. my head to the string. Instead of moving your string to your head, Instead of moving the string to my head, I was copying my head over. Well, a friend of mine, my uncle, actually pointed that out to me, and he said, you need to pull it straight back and don't move your head. Bring your hand to your mouth. Like you, at the time, I was shooting a recurve bow. And uh, it's the same thing on a compound bow. Sure. So when I did that, what happened was it changed my trajectory a little bit. But it closed my groups up immensely. Right. Uh, if I'm shooting at 80 or 100 yards, that little difference makes all the difference in the world whether you're going to hit or miss. And you need, if I'm, I'm not saying that you buy a bow and go out and shoot 80 or 90 yards, you don't do that. It takes a long time to learn how to do that and hit your target. Uh, I typically shoot at a two foot by two foot target. And uh, with a compound bow, I can comfortably shoot it at 80, 90 yards and don't think a thing about it. Now, I I don't shoot no one-inch group at that distance, but I can shoot in a kill zone of just about any animal that walks on the face of North America. Right. And but it's not saying that I haven't missed, because I have. Sure. Uh, we all have that have been bow hunting for any length of time. <laughs> right. It happens. Well, I, I had a professional hunter one time told me, he said, the only reason you miss is because you've done something wrong. Interesting concept. 
And, you know, he's right. And I got thinking about it because he and I were, hunt, were actually going to a place in Colorado to hunt. And we were walking up this ridge and uh, a little four point stepped out. And it was the last day of the hunt for me. And I'm buying out of state license, legal bull. I'm going to shoot him. Right. I draw back, release the arrow. And I probably, at that time, I think I'd killed like six or seven elk. Mm-hmm. So it was no big deal. Was, I was not shook up. But I flat missed him. What did I do wrong? I started checking. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Well, what he did, he run down there about 15 steps, turned around and looked at us. I knocked another arrow, killed him. Wow. What I did wrong on the first time was uh, two things. One is I greatly misjudged the distance. He was a lot bigger than I thought he was, body-wise. Right. He didn't have a big set of antlers, but he had body was huge, and I thought he was a lot closer than what he was. So I shot under him. I misjudged the distance. Didn't take time to accurately judge the distance uh, how, how much is 10 20 30 yards you know you're looking down this path and i ought to be able to figure it out as much as i sure. shot i shot him for 30 what was he he's about 45 yards and i was shooting at the heart now had i been shooting at the lungs i would have i would have got him right and that's what i did on the second shot but i knew he is about 60 yards on the second shot right you knew better the second yeah time, and so was... i i quickly you know trying to calculate in my head all right there's there's about 45 that's about 50 yards all right he's right at 61 62 i'm gonna shoot 60 yard pin in his lungs well you've got a 14 15 inch target to shoot at there right perfect shot he ran 15 steps piled up so but that takes practice and i had practice 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 before that and hunted probably 10 years and the excitement of getting to shoot one and it all happened so quick he just stepped out right in front of us i didn't take the time to do mentally what i know to do right so shooting a bow is a mental thing as much as anything plus you got to have the confidence i have all the confidence in the world so mentally i failed right i failed that animal i finally harvested him but i failed him on the first shot and i should have have taken him on the first shot and that's when he told me he said you did something wrong Mm -hmm. another shot that i missed we had uh uh, there was three of us hunting and we were coming back to camp and we jumped some mule deer well they just hopped out there about 15 yards further than where they was at there's actually about 25 30 yards from us and uh one of the boys shot one knocked him down we go down there we're field dressing deer and look up here comes three bucks walking up the ridge to us i reached over and grabbed my bow knocked an arrow put my release back on and they walked right up within 20 yards wow i drew back put the pin right where i wanted released and the arrow took off flying sailing up out and away to the right oh my goodness i mean it was i wouldn't hit a barn if it had been there right from the inside yeah (laughs) And so the only thing that I can figure was is that I got too big a hurry, did not make sure that my arrow was on my arrow wrist. It was sitting up on the shelf of the arrow wrist. I see. Because I, I, 
I've mimicked that shot since then, and that's the only way I can make it do it, make right. it work. You've never been able to recreate that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, shooting a shooting a compound bow is, is fun. It's fun for the entire family. It's something you can do in your backyard, even if you live in town. Right. Uh, you just need a good backdrop so that the arrows won't go through it if you mess up. <laughs> right. You don't want to shoot the neighbor's dog, you know. Exactly. But uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Everybody can do it from kids Jackson's age on up. Right. He's just at the age right now to start training. Mm-hmm. You don't, of course, you can't shoot no great big compound bow like that, but he can start with a recurve, a oh, small yeah. recurve. And he has a small recurve. Yeah. So. And by the way, Jackson is your son, and he's, how old is he now? Six? Six, six years old, yeah. yeah. Well, he he's hyper. And he loves to play. Yes. But that's kids. Uh-huh. But whenever you get them in this situation, and it's, and it's a training situation, trying to learn to shoot a bow, it's, you make it fun for them, but it's not hyper and they're not jumping all over the place. Right. Well, you got danger points there. you exactly. got an it's arrow with a point on it. Even though it's a field tip, Right. it can still jog them in the eye or go slap to them if they fall on it. Mm-hmm. So safety is paramount in anything that you do, especially in archery. Because if you're shooting broadheads, they'll cut. You, yeah. got, you need to check your string all the time. Uh, is, it, is it frayed? Right. Uh, check your cables to make sure that they're not frayed or rubbing on something they're or not supposed to. Or cracked yeah. or anything, right? But uh, basically, you're looking for just a very few things, but you got to have a, a good bow, which most anybody out there makes a good bow. Uh, you need a good air rest. You need a good release. And you need a pro to set up your bow so that it's the arrow is setting in the in the spot that it needs to be setting in and knocked down on your string itself. And he can do all that. It's got to be the proper length so it's not sticking out past your bow a foot or too short so when you draw it back it falls off your arrow wrist. Exactly. And uh, it's got to be the ha- the right spine length, and you got to have anchor points. And they any pro worth of salt can teach you all of this in five minutes then what you have to do is duplicate it what i did when i bought a compound bow my first one at that time cameras were not such a big thing and anybody saw a camera they freeze up you know people i was around anyway right <laughs> and so i i knew i wanted to bow hunt and up until that time, I had never bow hunted. So I went in and bought me a compound bow. And I bought it from a pro. And I videotaped it. And I asked him beforehand, do you mind if I videotape it? Because when I got through, I went home. And I watched that videotape. And then I went out and did what the videotape said, what he said do on the tape. Because I may not remember every little detail that he was telling me. Right. One of the things he, this particular guy did not tell me was... Don't move your head to the string. Move the string to your head. Now, it may have been something he didn't know or maybe it's something that he just missed. Right. But I did it for years. And like I say, you know, this I can learn from anybody. So I had a kid tell me one time that uh, he said, you're shooting awful tight groups at 60 yards. How do you do that? I said, one word practice lots of practice yeah and i shoot every day there's not a day goes by that i don't shoot 
if I, unless I'm just so sick I can't. But right. I mean, generally speaking, every day I'll pull my bow out and I'll shoot three or four arrows. That's great. I got a target set out back, got my bow set in my room, and I walk in there and get it. I got broadheads on it, which I shoot. That's all I shoot is broadheads. I don't shoot field tips mm -hmm. unless I'm in a tournament that I'm shooting in. But uh, I shoot broadheads in this target because it's a broadhead target. And it's set 35 yards from my back door. And I sit in the back door and I shoot three arrows. And next time I go outside, I go get the three arrows. Sometimes I forget and I'll have three arrows in it and have to go get them and bring them back in to be able right, to shoot them again. Right, to be able to shoot them to begin with, right. But usually out of an arrow, I get about anywhere from 200 to 300 shots out of an arrow before I can start telling that the arrows become defective, which is one of the reasons I started going with gold tips because I – I don't know how many shots I can get out of one. Right. I have no idea of knowing because I shot, I've shot these for like three years, and I have no idea how many times I've shot it. And you can really tell the difference when you're not shooting 30 yards, but when you're shooting that 80 and 90 yards because mm -hmm. you can see the arrow going through the air. Like we videotape a lot of our shots, a lot of our shooting thing, and uh, you see the flight of the arrow, and if it starts wobbling, there's something wrong with the arrow. Right. normally speaking it's just worn out and you've broken some fibers in it or something like that but that's one of the things i like about the gold tip i've shot and shot and shot if i ever shoot an animal with one i never shoot it again i place the arrow with the animal if i have it mounted i put the arrow in the horns and it stays right there right because uh, if i hit a rock which i've been shooting targets before and hit a rock in colorado and i just go over there and throw the arrow in the fire because I don't want to take the It's the safest chance. thing to do. It really is. Yeah. You know, it's the safest thing to do. Um, and, and that's the other thing. I'm a fan of Gold Tip, too, and that I think they make a really strong arrow and a really straight arrow. You know, I just, they have such low tolerances for, you know, for any imperfections in their arrows. That's one reason why I choose Gold Tips. So. Well, I also shoot them, but I shoot a real heavy broadhead, but. You know, I'm I'm backed off of that now. I'm shooting like a hundred grain broadheads, mm -hmm. and they actually fly better than because it gives the air a better balance. Uh, when I'm shooting real heavy, stiff double X seventy fives or something like that, well then I can shoot a hundred and twenty five grain broadhead. Right, because the balance broadhead. of the era is is plays a big uh, it's a big factor in how it flies. Right, and I if I shoot one. I'm going to shoot it at 80 or 90 yards to observe the flight of the arrow to make sure that there's nothing wrong. And that's the reason I ended up shooting gold tips because I went through several different arrows before I found a combination that really worked for me. Sure. And I do not shoot. I know a lot of people believe in these mechanical broadheads, but I don't. if I'm shooting a big game animal, I do not shoot mechanical broadheads. Whitetail, deer, coyotes fox and things like that doesn't matter what's your preferred brand any of them is good okay i like one of those that cut on impact okay with the cut on contact right yep. uh and there's several of them out there and i usually shoot fixed blades 99 percent of the time i have shot a mechanical broadhead that i really do like uh, i've never shot a big game with it though but uh probably going to try to change that this coming year and that's grim reaper uh, I like their mechanical broadhead. It seemed to work real well. I can't tell you how good it works. I, I shot a coyote with one, and it opened up a humongous hole in it. Yeah. I shot a couple of deer, 
uh, Whitetail, and uh, did a phenomenal job. Complete pass through, and that's what that's what I want with a bow. Uh, Anybody that listens to this podcast or watches any of my videos or anything, you know that that's that's my broadhead right there. So well, you sent me the broadhead. Yeah, and I told true. you I didn't shoot mechanicals, right. and you sent me these mechanical broad. And I shoot mechanicals on my um, compound. Mm-hmm. Those mechanicals, uh, Grim Reefers, you sent me. I like those. Uh, well, I said I shot two deer with a compound bow with the Grim Reaper. Let me back up and correct that. I shot one deer with the compound bow and one with the crossbow. I see. That's and right. I, like, I remember that now. I, I, like the pro, I like the way that they performed, the, the broadhead, and it was a good balance with the arrow that I was shooting and the bolt that I was shooting. Uh, another thing that I do that a lot of people don't is I shoot Luminox. Mm-hmm. I shoot them on everything. I do, too. And the reason being, uh, the old, I'm 64, and the older you get, it's harder to see that arrow. And once you get past 30 or 40 yards, you can't see the arrow. Right. And you you and can I, with that Illuminati. You and I both film, which is also important for the viewer to see the flight of the arrow, which I think is important as well. So well, also, it's, it's good for it's you, good to, for you see to see the see impact. Too, right. where, where did you hit? I agree. And, uh, yeah, I before the Illuminati ever came out, I was thinking the whole time, well, I wish I could put a flashlight on this thing. <laughs> right. Because I've shot uh, deer before with my bow and thinking I did a perfect shot and come find out I was two or three inches off. Right. Now, two or three inches is not dramatic unless you're at the edge of your target zone. Right. Then it becomes real dramatic. And you could lose a deer for that. And it's... I respect the animal that I'm hunting so much. I will not take an unethical shot. I agree. I, uh, I do too. I can confidently shoot 80 and 90 yards. But if the wind's blowing, I'm not going to shoot at a deer. Not at that distance. 60 yards, if I got a light breeze, is okay. But anything other than the light breeze, no shot. And it's up to me to make sure that I make an ethical kill shot every time I release that arrow because I'm in control of it. But once I release, touch that release, all in the arrow. Yes. So that bow is going to sling it out there, and it's going to sling it fast. And speaking of that, I think something that a lot of folks in every sport, golf, football, basketball, follow-through is so important. You know? Oh, yeah. And that's something that is forgotten, I think, sometimes with new bow hunters and new archers that, you know, freezing after your shot goes off, you know, not pulling your head in or out of the shot, you know. Well, one of the best things to do is whenever you shoot, where's your, if, if you're right-handed and you're pulling the string of that bow back with your right hand, right. When, you re- when you release the arrow, where's your hand after you release? Your hand should be? Should be in the same Same spot. position, okay, same position. Same identical spot. Okay, just freeze. Just, just, you're just you're tense, but you're not rigid. Right. You're relaxed, but you're not sloppy. Exactly. That's what you're I'm saying. You're in between, and you you find that comfort zone, whether you're shooting 45 pounds, and I can assure you with the arrows and the broadheads we have nowadays, you can kill anything that walks on North America with a 45-pound pool bow. Mm-hmm. You just got to put it where it counts. Right. Put it in the boiler room. Right. Uh, you stick it. I'm I'm a lung shooter. I like shooting them in the lungs. They're going to run 30, 40 yards a deer, and sometimes 60 maybe. But that's about that's about as far as they're going to go. And uh, we shot a mule deer, a, a doe, one year in Colorado, and uh, 
one of the guys shot this doe and he couldn't find her. And he called us up there. We went up and helped him track. And I said, where was she standing? You stand down here and I'm going to go up there. What he was doing, he was he did not mark where he where the deer was standing when he shot. Right. So therefore, he was shooting about thirty yards, but it's uphill, and he was not making it all the way up to where the deer was actually standing, and he couldn't find any blood or anything. And so, when I get up there, he said, "Right here." I said, "Well, man, there's there's blood all over the place." He didn't go far enough. Didn't go up far enough. You need to mark. You need to respect your animal enough to be able to find it. Know where it was standing. Know which way it ran. Right. Uh, you're not. Most bow hunters are not going to shoot one so far that they can't figure out where they were standing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this guy was all excited. It was his first deer, and, and we found the deer wouldn't lay in 15 yards from there. Right. He probably walked right by it three or four times. And how long do you give it after the shot? A minimum of 30 minutes. Okay, me too. 30 to 45 minutes is what I usually advise folks. The reason for that, and I do the same thing with a muzzleloader. If I'm shooting a muzzleloader, I do the exact same thing as if I'm shooting a bow. I'm going to give that deer 30 minutes, unless it's laying right there where I can see it. Right. Uh, but generally speaking, they're going to run 30 to 40 yards, and they're going to go out of sight unless it's in a big open field, and I'm going to give them 30 minutes. What happens is, they hemorrhage to the point that there's no more blood in their systems. There's no oxygen flowing, so therefore they, they're just going to lay there and just go to sleep and pass away at that point. But if you walk upon that deer, especially a whitetail or a mule deer or an elk or any big game animal or like a that. a hog, yeah. Yeah, a pig, same way. If, uh, if you walk up on him before he's completely expired, the adrenaline kicks in and they'll jump up and run. Generally speaking, when that happens, there's no blood. Mm -hmm. You might find a drop here and a drop there. But that's how you lose animals. I actually videotaped the guy who actually did that very thing with a bull elk. He shot a nice five by five. I called him right down in on top of us, and he shot him at about 35 yards. Chip shot for him. He's, he's a good shot. But he was so excited, he took off after the elk. I mean, the elk hadn't even got out of sight, and he was off of the off of the ridge we was on and up on the ridge he was on. Wow. Not and, the best judgment, obviously. And I, I, I caught him at the top of the next hill, and I said, you need to stop. we got to give that animal time to expire. Right. And he just couldn't stand it. He sat there for five minutes and took off. Well, we seen the elk when he jumped up and run off. He ran over the next hill, next ridge up there. Never found a drop of blood, never found the elk. So... From then on, I make sure that if, if I'm going with someone to film their hunt and they make a shot, we're going to sit for 30 minutes. Yeah. I may have to hog time and hold them there, <laughs> but the animal is worth it. Yeah, I know it is for sure. And you owe that to your game. You That's owe right. That. We've talked about that many times on this podcast. Well, you owe that to your game. Well, I think I've talked enough. <laughs> I think it's been good. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming in and talking. Oh, I enjoyed it. So, um, and definitely check out our work where? Well, we got it at MacandProwler.com. Also got it on Dustin's Project. Yes. And the podcast, you're going to tell them about that. Yes, the Best of the Outdoors podcast. You can subscribe or um, download the show, however you listen. We want to thank you for listening. And um, this is exciting. This is fun. One more thing I need to say. We are 
developing a par- developing a partnership now with a new company called GSN. And that is Global what I forgot the name. Global Sportsman yeah. Network. Global Sportsman Network.net. Yes. Or it's Global Sportsman.net's the name of it. Yes. But you're going to be seeing a lot of uh, our TV shows and and clips and podcasts and stuff like that on there. It's going to be exciting. We're looking forward to that. So yep. we just met with those folks tonight, and that's why Mr. Bill is in town with me. And uh, so I thank him for coming in and doing this podcast with us. Yeah, I wished uh, Katie was here so she could pop me on the head for mispronouncing the, the <laughs> website. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes. Don't worry. Okay. That, my dear friends, was a lot of fun, and I look forward to releasing the other two interviews that we did. We did one on um, buying a used bow, which is something I get a lot of questions and emails and and, um, comments about is what to look for when buying a used bow, and I also have one on the legacy that we leave behind as outdoorsmen after we're gone from this earth, and that's kind of a deep subject. It's a subject that I've talked about a lot in this show. Because I'm trying to get men and women that are in the outdoors or boys and girls, whatever age you may be listening to this, to think long term about the impact we have on the environment as outdoors enthusiasts, as well as the impact that we have on each other and uh, the ripple effect, if you will, of the consequences for our actions, whether they be good or bad. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to talk about in that interview. And I really look forward to releasing that in the coming weeks. I want to apologize as well, as I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, for the length of time between podcasts this last couple of uh, weeks, uh, last few weeks rather. Um, I've been busy with knocking out uh, some articles and uh, hotspot reports for Texas Fishing Game Magazine. If you know me, you know I do those every month. And then um, a lot of consulting, a lot of website work, and those kind of things have been filling up my days pretty heavily. And I just haven't had a chance to edit these podcasts. And I want to give you the best possible content and the best possible product to consume. And this podcast is free. So. I encourage you, if you're not subscribed so far, please subscribe to our podcast. Please like us wherever you find us, and please leave us a review as that helps other people find our podcast as well. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for reading. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more about us at macandprowler.com, which is M-A-C-A-N-D-P-R-O-W-L-E-R.com. Uh, my website, dustinsprojects.com, and you can also connect with me on social media on several different places through that website. And I just want to thank you so much for tuning in and checking us out and have an awesome day in the outdoors. Mm